Welcome to 10-Minute Tech Calm. This is Ryan Weber at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Julio Vasquez, who is currently a senior digital content strategist at Cisco. I invited him on the podcast because he has a lot of experience in technical communication and in wearing a lot of different hats, information architecture, content strategist, even an engineer in his early career. I wanted to talk with him about how his technical knowledge and his writing knowledge come together for the companies that he works for. During the course of the interview, I also learned that he was involved in developing the original DITA standard at IBM, and I was really excited to talk with him about that. I hope that you enjoy the interview as much as I did. Welcome, Julio, to the podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you. I love talking with working technical writers about the things that they do, the work that they do. And I guess a good way to start is to just tell us a little bit about your career. You said in your intro, you've been working at this more years than most. So give us kind of the, a brief overview of your career and, and where it's taken you. I actually started as a programmer. And then in, I believe it was 1988, I did my first stint as a technical writer because I thought I could write better than some of the stuff I was reading for reference. Then came down to North Carolina, took another support programming job for a short period of time and began again as a technical writer, I believe in 1992-93. From then on, it was just upwards and onwards. Learned uh, a little bit about structured authoring, a lot of, about structured authoring. I uh, spent some time with IBM, became uh, a member of the team that actually developed the data standard, been working with lots of different companies, helping them uh, migrate to data, teaching them about structured authoring and why it makes sense to componentize content rather than do a full on and on start to finish document. Oh, cool. So I knew from your profile that you were a DITA evangelist, but I didn't know that you were actually on the ground floor of developing the DITA standard. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? When IBM decided to go to XML from their monolithic SGML uh, markup, they formed a team across the company. And I think there were like 21 of us on the calls for several months. I was, I think, the only writer on <laughs> on that set of calls and basically tried to guide them to um, make the standard and the markup as small as possible. And then as the standard got developed before it got implemented fully, I started writing documentation about how to use the language. And that's where I, that's where I started really getting interested in, in what was going on. Okay, so your goal in being on this team was to make DITA more manageable. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, and make it as friendly and, and not as, as big as what came previously. I wanted to uh, set a, a high bar for the number mm -hmm. of elements, and the high bar was 150. Our previous standard was around 300, I think, if I remember correctly. And then uh, we got down to 99 at that point, which I said, okay, that's great. But as time went on, there were additional requirements, so the standard group. Sure, things are always going to get kind of out of control like that, but at least if you start in a manageable place, hopefully it doesn't get too out of control. You know, I was going to ask you this at the end, but since we're talking about DITA, we might as well do it now. As I said, you are a self-proclaimed DITA evangelist. What do you find exciting about DITA, and what do you tell people about it to get them on board? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one is the main benefit 
is for companies that are acquiring other companies, because you, you start coming down to a single set of, of tools, all right? You also wind up creating content that can be used across or shared with other companies if needs be. So everyone is able to publish basically at the same level. You know, there are other benefits, things like, well, you know, you can do content reuse. You can basically come down to the molecular level with your content. There's a great video out there, at least it used to be out there on YouTube, of, I believe he was Swedish. (laughs) He did a video that basically demonstrated the building blocks of data, and he used, you know, humongous Legos. Oh, cool. I need to check that out. And for me, you know, there were a couple of things. When it came to things like task topics, especially when you use a strict structure, mm-hmm. it was actually freeing because I didn't have to think about the structure. And the other thing is I don't have to think about formatting. That's tail end. That's something mm-hmm. that the processor does. Mm-hmm. So the efficiencies improve after you get over the initial learning curve. Yeah. So it really frees you up. Like you said, you don't have to worry about, you know, what the structure is going to be. Everybody's following the same structure you know, and you don't have to wear the formula. It's kind of like those people who like insist that they're going to wear the same thing every day so that they don't have to, you know, devote any mental energy to that. It kind of sounds like the same thing. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically uh, you you can focus on the content itself and not Mm -hmm. the structure or the formatting. I have spent more time in companies formatting rather than writing because Mm -hmm. they use tools like uh, Google Docs or Word or something like that. And and those tools are fine for writing letters or memos. They're not great for large documents. What are their weaknesses for large documents? Well, I've seen times where the formatting actually breaks in some of them, especially if you start pushing the boundary of over 100 pages, right? Mm-hmm. They start doing really strange things, especially with like lists, mm-hmm. tables. Mm-hmm things of that nature. So for a short document, they have their purposes. I would use them to write a novel because there's very little formatting in a novel, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for something that that has a lot of, I'm going to call it bulk, Mm -hmm. technical content has a lot of bulk. It has a lot, you know, there may be a lot of tables, there may be a lot of images, things of that nature those tend to stress those desktop publishing systems significantly. Yeah, Word really has a mind of its own sometimes. It seems like it's trying to help you, but it's not, and you end up fighting with Word more than you end up using it to get stuff done. Yeah, and and ironically, I found my best experience with Word was Word 6. Okay. But everything since then seemed to kind of start fighting you. You know, Mm -hmm. they called them user enhancements, but they weren't as much of an enhancement as Microsoft would have thought. Yeah, well, you you end up kind of having to work against the enhancements. You are not a Word or Google Docs person, but you are a very technical person based on what I see in your LinkedIn, you know, XML, CSS, a lot of these tools. How do you put sort of your technical knowledge and your writing knowledge and your content strategy? And we haven't even talked about all your roles yet, but how do you put all these things together to really serve a company? Well, they, they kind of grew out of each other. Currently, I'm not doing as much CSS or XSL work, mm-hmm. and, and which is a good thing because uh, 
it is kind of more programming than it is content strategy or, or, or anything like, of that nature. So to make everything work, you have to understand how a processor can handle things. So just doing that sort of work, and I taught myself some of these things because when I published my book on data, mm-hmm. I actually created it and published it using the same tools that an organization would know. So I know a good deal about how the ecosystem works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I can I can help guide companies in uh, efficiencies and getting things to work so it meets what they would like as their standard output stream. So it sounds like some of the secret is that you have to use these technologies kind of in context of the organization. Is that right? Yeah, because the neat thing about that is, is you don't get a specific output. You get the output you want. You know, we should have done this earlier, but I guess we should do it now. Can you quickly define, in case we have any listeners who don't know what DITA is, can you quickly define what DITA is for us? DITA is, is actually, DITA is, is a number of things. It is a specification for processors, mm-hmm. how to handle the, the rendition of the elements that are within a document. Okay. It is also a set of XML elements, tags, whatever you want to call them, that basically explain what each topic type might be. It also provides a mechanism so you can specialize those elements so that they more resemble what you want to call them rather than what the standard itself calls them. Mm -hmm. And it's also a philosophy of writing that builds in structured authoring concepts and enables you to do that fairly efficiently and consistently throughout organizations. I have worked with multiple companies and for the most part, not all of them, but most of them basically used data sort of out of the box Uh so that they're looking at the same structures. I I can go from company to company and look at basically the same structures unless there's a requirement to specialize those structures. But even then, the underlying processing can be just styled to what they want and, and you don't even have to worry about it. If you're sharing this with another company, as long as that other company has the the set of files that define what those structures are, they're good mm-hmm. to go. They can process mm-hmm. it even using the default processing. Mm-hmm. So it really helps companies talk to each other and or and get their content to talk to each other. Yeah, yeah, and, and part of the effort when this was initially designed was because uh, IBM started acquiring companies and it was, how do we start processing our documentation? But we've got all these different tools and formats and that's that's an expensive way to go. Right, right. So once so you by, standardize, everybody's using the same standard. It's the same standard, the same tool sets. You can move people from organization to organization, right? with no cost of learning the tool sets. The only cost is learning the, the technologies they're going to write about. You've talked a lot about sort of your technical writing and, and sort of technical events. You've got a lot of, you wear a lot of hats often, information architect, content strategist, technical writer, 
sounds like a, a technical person. How do you bring all these things together? Very hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, it's, I, I guess it's part of my nature because, yeah, I started my, my career sort of as an engineer. So mm-hmm. I, I like taking things apart, putting them together again. Just that technical slant to me helped me understand more things like what information architecture really is, mm-hmm. what does it provide, what do you see coming forward in tools that could be applicable, how can you leverage things to make everything kind of work together. I guess it, it was it's the thing that I like to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you like solving these kinds of problems. It sounds like you like making content work in an organization in an efficient way. Yeah, absolutely. And if I can share that capability with folks, and if I can help company or a team be more productive, efficient, if I can get them over learning curves that they have to get through mm-hmm. to be efficient, that's fun. That brings me joy. That's that's, that's what, what's kept me in this for so long. So you've talked about some things did most notably, but what other, when you're talking about helping companies make their workflows and their work more efficient. What kinds of things do you do? I look at training. You know, I, I guess I'm part teacher at heart, right? Mm-hmm. So I enjoy that. Uh, in fact, back in 2009, I was approached by the head of the technical communications school uh, up at Virginia Tech to help teach them a little bit about uh, structured authoring. So I did a presentation called uh, Making Breakfast. Okay. And uh, the last time, Carlos Evia is his name. The last time I talked to him, he's still using that concept as part of his curriculum. Okay. So Making Breakfast, what does that mean? Well, you don't think about it, but there are a lot of things that go into making breakfast, mm-hmm. especially if you're trying to get breakfast to the table at one time. So how do you structure the content, the information that you need to make breakfast so that someone else can be successful doing that? Mm-hmm. We wound up basically pulling together reference topics about types of coffee, you know, types of coffee makers. Mm-hmm. How does that affect a recipe? You know, and how do you actually make your breakfast you know what are the decision points that go into that things like Mm -hmm. okay am i going to have coffee or tea or juice or am Mm -hmm. i going to have multiple things to drink what kind of eggs am i going to make am i going to make toast or am i going to have bagels what sorts of breakfast meats go into that so Mm -hmm. you, you actually wind up with quite a complex process to do something that most people don't think about Right. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. So how do you decompose a technical task that's made of a lot of moving parts into a set of flows that makes sense? And so making breakfast was basically my example, how to do technical documentation. Great. So and and the idea is you're breaking down this complicated system into small usable parts and then putting those back together. Right. And that's precisely what was their introduction to Dita. Yeah, so Dita kind of does, it makes that easier for you as the writer and the user, though they don't see it, to, to make breakfast. Yeah, because, you know, I just 
figure out what the pieces are. I write each piece individually and then assemble it into a flow. Cool. Well, do you have anything else to add about your work or did anything we didn't touch on? <laughs> what else is there? Um, I could probably go on for hours, but uh, <laughs> this is only supposed to be a 10 minute podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We've already gone past the 10 minute mark, but that's okay. I got a little bit looser on that lately. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. It's fun to talk to somebody who was kind of at the inception of Dita and kind of helped shape. I, I think many people would, uh, would agree with me in saying we appreciate you trying to keep the elements manageable. Yeah, we, we try we try our best. Yeah. And, and as I understand it, the next iteration of Dita, which will be Dita 2.0, which I think will be out hopefully by next year, will pair back some of the bloat. Okay. Or at least restructure the um, standards such that some of the things that are not as important to some core technical folks doesn't come in and, and other things like hardware uh, documentation has its own subset of, of sure. stuff. And, and I, I tell you what, the biggest data evangelist out there is Elliot Kimber. And I, anytime I run into a question about it, he's the guy I hit. Excellent. Well, hey, thank you so much. I really enjoyed having you. Well, thank you for asking me, Ryan. I'm, I'm very humbled and honored to, to be part of this.